877-UCI-DOCS. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Welcome back inside the chat room. You are tuned in to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We are here with you every Friday night, 5 o'clock, bringing you edgy talk on dating, sex, relationships, all the fun stuff to get your uh, weekend kicked off. Uh, Dana and I are here with you, as we are every week. Hey, guy. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited for today. We've got a guest in studio again two weeks in a row. I know. We're awesome. We're good. <laughs> People keep agreeing to come back. We, we're going to find out why. Uh, so this is uh, KUCI's uh, biannual fund drive, and we have callers standing by to take pledges. We are a nonprofit station. We have been on the air 41 years, and uh, I have been with the station six years. How long have you been here? I've been here since 1998. Dang, So that's boy. like 14 years. Yeah, that's good. I'm your senior. You are my senior. I can tell by the by looking at the you wrinkles. how much older you are than I am. I do have a couple gray hairs. <laughs> so anyway, we are an all-volunteer, non-profit, non-commercial radio station. We rely on listeners just like you to uh, to donate, to call up, and uh, show us the love for our show. So um, call us, 949-824-5824, 949-UCI-KUCI. And uh, we have some awesome premiums to give away for a measly $35.00. Uh, you will get some uh, a nice little package of T-shirts and a CD. Uh, we always have bumper stickers. And then if you go all the way up to $100, we will invite you into the chat room where you can sit with us and, uh, and DJ with us your, your favorite show here on KUCI. Wouldn't that be awesome? So anyway, we're here all hour. We're taking your calls, 949-824-5824. Give us a call, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So today I'm incredibly excited to welcome a dear friend of mine, an incredibly talented writer, an incredibly smart, brave, funny, witty, fantastic gal, uh, Elle Brooks, to the show. She's a gallery artist. She's a published author. She's a successful entrepreneur, host of Wake Up and Write at San Diego Writers, Inc., that's ink with a K. Isn't that great? And uh, founder of WeWomenUnite.com, a gentle coaching practice to help women of abuse find their voice and rekindle their creative spirit after trauma. She's currently writing a memoir, which is a fantastic, uh, fantastic read. It hasn't been published yet, but I've had the pleasure of dipping into it here and there uh, in the land of liars, cheats, and thieves. It's a story of resilience as she talks about her harrowing shame from sexual abuse, loss of dignity as a teenage prostitute, and denigration suffered at the hands 
hands of her abusive husband. She is uh, she's quick to point out that this is a love story, a lesson in redemption, as she has found the kind of love we all want but may not believe we deserve. So, Elle, hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Welcome. 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 So, I'm going to give you a chance to sort of introduce your story, kind of talk about um, how you met the the bad dude you met. What attracted you to him? Maybe there was a foundation that was laid in order to, you know, to hook up with this guy. I don't know what your family of origin background was, but what led you to to find him? Sort of tell us your story so we can dive into it a little bit. Well, I was in Atlantic City. I had been there a couple of years. I was um, working as a prostitute and trying to get out of it. And this man came into a hotel room where I was um, with another gentleman, and he just commanded the room, and I was struck by the way that he walked in and the way he handled himself. And he asked me to... um, go out and I thought that we were going out on a date and he whined and dined me and we had this lovely evening and then um, the next morning when it was time to leave I thought that we were going to have breakfast and spend the day together and he handed me $500 and basically said this is taxi money mm-hmm. so <laughs> whatever whatever dream I had of that evening it was completely different right Right. And then, so how did you see him again after that? We, um, we started to see each other, but again, it was, it was, we didn't know whether or not it was a business relationship or we were dating. And then... Um, so he calls you up. You have... Pay, uh, back in those days, you had a pager? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it was back in the you had day. one of those of cell pagers. phones that the size of a taxi cab. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so he would page me, and he would let me know that he was in town. He was in, uh, he was in Philadelphia, and he would come to town, and, and I would see him. And then it became more exclusively of just seeing him and stop seeing other, other people. And but he was paying you this whole time? Yes, yeah. but it, it got very cloudy because it wasn't so strict, um, where it was just like, here's, you know, $500. It was, I'll buy you this, I'll buy you that. Right. That sort of thing. Right, right. But with the understanding that you wouldn't take other men on as clients. Yeah. Or that was was your choice. That was more my choice. Okay. My choice. Okay. Um, And then we just ended up um, in, in a relationship that that just evolved and I thought I thought it was an exclusive relationship but apparently it wasn't on his end but that's another story there's a lot of those stories in the chat room my friend (laughs) we all have those stories (laughs) Um, so so let's back up a little bit and talk about um, what sort of led you into the mentality that this was okay and I you know I assume there's things going on in your family of origin that led you to into a life where where this was the choice you were forced into and these were the men that you became attracted to is it was is that true or um <clears throat> in my um in my household there was um the the marriage of my parents was very very difficult and and not a healthy marriage um so i was a product of divorce and also i was a survivor of incest mm-hmm. So while other girls my age were learning about dating and, you know, wanting a boy to kiss them, I was already way ahead of the game. So at the age of 15 is when I went into prostitution. Mm -hmm. I quit school and went into prostitution. Yikes. Dana, you want to jump in? You good? 
Yeah, it sounds. I don't want to. I don't want to over uh, the overshadow thing that the kind of interview. Comes that kind of jumps out at me is that, like you were saying, when other girls were thinking about getting boys to kiss them, <laughs> sex meant something very different to you <laughs> because of the abuse that I'm assuming your father, correct, perpetrated on you. So the major, like, uh, split between you and like, say, your average child that has a, a full childhood and isn't kind of like invaded by an older person the difference between you and those girls is that you had a different conception of what sex was and then Absolutely. you probably looked at it as somehow you got the impression that like people want this from me this is actually a value and this can help me get some of the things i do want and I'm wondering if, like, what was the first thing that you wanted where prostitution looked interesting? Did it get you out of the house? I mean, at the time, I thought that, you know, if, if I've got these, these men, these older men looking at me and wanting me, that I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to charge them for it. But, but in reality, what it is is that you are just perpetrating the abuse over and over again that existed between my father and I. Mm -hmm. So you just, you substitute the father for the older man, and that's what takes place. And while I may have thought at the time, I'm, I'm in control, I'm cool, I've got this all, you know, I'm, I'm running the show, I'm really just, it was continuously shaming myself over and over again, like the abuse was. By your own hand. Yeah. 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 Um. And so, was he, this the first man who you had sort of a romantic interest in, a romantic ongoing relationship with? Because it sounds like you went straight from your household to prostitution to this, this man. Um, I had, yeah, um, I would say so. Because at a, at a young age, not only did I have my father who was... Who was doing what he was doing. But I also had a mother who, uh, that's how I learned how to go to a bar. My mother took me to a bar when I was 15, very, very young, took me to a bar and thought that it was, it was um, really hilarious when a gentleman who was dancing with me <coughs> became aroused and I didn't know, you know. She thought that was hilarious. She thought it was really hilarious and just, and thought that was a riot that I didn't know what to name that. Um, and, she, and she would uh, take me to um, hotels, and we would sit in a, you know, a hotel lobby bar. So that's how I became comfortable in going out into the world, because that's, it, was, it was what I was taught by both, both parents. Um, was she sort of pimping you out? No, she wasn't pimping me out. She just liked the fact that I was like a light bulb in the room that guys would be drawn to me, and then she would try and pick them up herself. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is after this is post divorce. Yes, this is post divorce. Okay, this, this is post divorce. Oh, okay, so you're yeah. like a skateboard for a guy, you know, or a dog. Right? <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Okay. You're the yeah. fluffer, and she I goes was, in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Isn't that just? It's a shame. And she was always, um, she she was in competition with me. Very right. very jealous. So she was she aware of the abuse that was going on between your father and you? Um, I would say that she would have to be she um please enter the jealousy card right there That's she <laughs> yeah she as a as a kid she would take me out of my bed and put me between the two of them so he wouldn't touch her <laughs> so wow. it yeah 
Do you have sisters? Yes, I have a sister and two brothers. And did this go on with that with the sister as well? Um, that's never been confirmed. Okay. On for any of the other siblings, but I would think that it would, it's hard not to imagine that it did. Right. Right. In, how how much younger or older is she? Um, she's she's two years older than me. Okay. And then um, I have an older brother, so I was the youngest. Okay. And did she find her way out and into sort of a path of healthiness, or has she gone on her own path of, of difficulty? My sister? Yeah. She was always um, very on the straight and narrow okay. and um, married her, her sweetheart from, you know, her teenage years, her first boyfriend, and happily married and still, still together. And Damn. Yeah. How'd that happen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You, uh, you are tuned into the chat room, KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We are here with Elle Brooks, who's telling us, um, she's sort of uh, chronicling, the. she's writing a memoir on this topic. We'll get to that a little bit later, but it's called In the Land of Liars, Cheats, and Thieves. And uh, she's talking about her move from a, a place of pretty significant darkness to a place of, of happy light. And we want to get to the happy light part, too. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to... Um, to your first husband, uh, so let's let's kind of pick up where your story left off, which was uh, you're now dating, you've given up uh, dating other, or you know, you've given up prostitution. You're mm-hmm. exclusively seeing him, mm-hmm. and tell me tell me what that's like now. Uh, it's I tried so hard in that relationship because it's what I wanted. I wanted to to be married. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to make that that dream work. Unfortunately, I picked someone who paid me $500 to be with him the first time and thought, wow, this is a really good guy that, you know, to have babies with and create a life with. I mean, like, I think back now, it's like, really, what was I thinking? But um, the joy out of that, that marriage is the two kids. Um, but it was very, he was very controlling. Um, very abusive. Was he older than you as well? He was 18 years older than me. So again, that father figure coming in. Um, Feeling very familiar. Yes. Yeah. Theme here. Um, but it, yeah, he was very controlling, um, isolated me. A lot of the, the classic symptoms of an abuser where you think in the beginning, wow, he really loves me. He's protecting me. This is, you know, this is, this is wonderful. And it slowly crosses the line where it's like you're, I would be saving receipts. So if he asked me where I was, I could prove that, yes, I was at the grocery store and yes, I was at the drugstore and, and, um, and I left him um, when I was pregnant with my first child um, and then went went back to him and pregnant again and and um, and his job was he was he was an ex cop turned drug dealer turned FBI DEA informant turned car salesman <laughs> <laughs> of course which is really interesting because when the first time I met him, I thought he was like a used car salesman, um, and he ended up being a car salesman. Um, yeah, so it was it was a very difficult marriage. I would um, at one point I wrote a, a letter, sealed it in an envelope, put it with my kids' clothes, and said, "If anything happens to me, my husband did it." So wow, it was it was a scary. So marriage. it was abusive all the way through, physically abusive all the way through. It was physically and verbally and emotionally just really difficult. And how long were you married? 
we were married three years when he um, went to prison. Okay. So talk about those years. Talk about what got him there and what the sort of prison experience was like for you. He um, ended up going to prison not for anything related to me. It was charges that had occurred years before I had met him, and he thought that he could play the system, become an informant, and uh, stay out of jail. And uh, someone uh, picked up his file or realized that he never reported, and we got this, this letter out of the blue that he needed to report in 30 days. And it just turned, you know, my life upside down and um, didn't know how to be a prison wife. I, uh, I didn't know what to do. I, uh, my foundation, as rocky as it was, fell um, just apart. And, and I didn't have family down here because um, my family's in Canada. I had to go on welfare and food stamps and was trying to do stuff for him as far as, you know, making phone calls and writing letters and, and trying to get him out of jail. And then um, I learned more of the story as to why he was there and how deeply he was involved. And it wasn't anything that he had told me. And at that what point... a shock. Yeah, <laughs> really. Surprise. I mean, Who knew? Wasn't totally truthful about that. Yeah, gee... But at that point, then, I, then there was um, fear for, for my safety and the safety of my children. So what was his sentence, and how, how long did he serve? He was sentenced, I think, originally to 10 years, and it had to do with uh, possession and distribution of methamphetamine, I think. Uh, I'm, I'd have to go back and look at the legal papers, yeah. um, exactly what his, his charges were, because there was a bunch, and then, of course, they get dropped. And, right. Right. Yeah. And again, this was before I, I knew him. Right. And did he serve the full 10 years? No, he didn't. He only served, I believe, about three and a half years. Okay. And as you're looking back over your relationship with him versus your relationship with your dad or who your dad was, are there very clear patterns and signs that you could see now in hindsight that you couldn't see at the time, of course, but that, um, that these perpetrators and offenders... You named a couple a little bit earlier, but um, are there very obvious signs and symptoms of these guys? He was very similar to my father in the way that my father had treated my mother in controlling. Um, my mother had wanted to uh, be a, a swim instructor and a lifeguard, and my father like threw her books across the, the kitchen floor and was like, you're not going to do that. And when I first started dating dating my first husband, I wanted to go back to school because I had dropped out, and uh, he took the car away from me, so I couldn't, couldn't go to school. So then I took the bus, because it's like, I'm going to go to school. I, I have a brain. I want to learn. And so it was very similar. He was, he was controlling in how he wanted me to dress and how he wanted me to look, which was similar to my mother. They would fight over what my mother was wearing and, and where she was going. So it was... It's, so there's that jealousy thing running mm -hmm. all the way through it that if I'm not here, you're probably with another guy because I'm probably out with another woman, so you're probably out with another guy. Right, right, right exactly. And, and, and I, I never was, and it was so interesting that everything that he was um, putting on me was really what, what he was doing. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, 
Where well, was your grandmother? <clears throat> all my uh, relatives are in England. Yikes. You guys so, were here? So we were in Canada. We were this the house that I grew up in was just like this isolated island where no one ever came into the house. We didn't my parents didn't have friends come into the house. There was nobody that that visited that that I could say, "Hey, you know, this is this is happening to me. This is not right." So And you probably wouldn't have anyway. Not back then, no. Right. No. I mean, talking, what was your brother's role in this? And, and how did he turn out in the end? Well, you know, did he stand up for you? Did he, or was he inclusion with your dad? Or I wish I could say that um, that my brother stood up for me. Unfortunately, he he also um, molested me. Gotcha. Um, not until I was older, I had um, tried to kill myself and spent time in in a mental ward of the hospital. And when because I, you're crazy, not them. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're the lunatic, not these guys. Right. These guys are out having sex with other women while you're yeah yeah while you're sick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Well, there was there was a time um, my mother did go uh, to a mental hospital and went uh, for shock treatment, and at that time my husband could commit their their wife. So I always wondered whether or not um, she really was. Uh, if, there, if she did have mental illness at that point or if he was trying to make her crazy because she knew things that were happening to me and, and wanted to discredit that if she was going to say anything. So who had an English accent? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to set the, kind of, you know what I mean? Like to, so I can see your dad or your mom and hear that accent because I, I think that'll really color things <laughs> in an interesting light. I'm hearing Americans. Oh, anyway. no, no. This is all taking place in, in Canada. So my sister and I are born in Canada and my brothers and, and my parents are all British. So my, my father reminds me of Anthony Hopkins and I can't watch any Anthony Hopkins. Wow, that, that's, a, that's a telling detail. Yeah. <laughs> that's an image right there. Yeah. <laughs> Not so a, mom and dad both had an accent. Yes. Where were they from? They were from 50 miles north of London. So they had, they, you know, tried their best with proper British uh-huh. accents. They tried to put on them, but that wasn't their natural? No, I mean, they had the natural English accent. It wasn't a Cockney accent or Liverpool. Right. Um, but, yeah, if my mother got mad, it got very British. In <laughs> very British. Are, are you aware of abuse happening in the generations before your parents? That this was a passed down lovely gene? That yeah, they- I'm, I'm not aware of anything. i believe probably my grandfather on my father's side was was maybe you know not a very nice man he was in the british army stationed in india and very strict and so i don't know what he what number he did on my father too yeah yeah but they were quite a combination and then what happened to your brother did he go on to be an abuser later in life no he had such a good running start at it yeah yeah he cleared cleaned up his act he 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 did he um, he's he spent a lot of time in therapy, mm-hmm. and um, he apologized to me years later, which was so cathartic because it it was almost like an apology from everyone because mm-hmm. I would never get that by this time you know my father had passed and and everyone that I had met through the years who perpetrated this on me over and over again so when he apologized it was it was just 
it was lovely. Hmm. Did your dad, uh, what were your feelings when he passed? Were they all in one direction or did you feel really torn about, I love him, but he was, he did this to me, but you know, there's part of, I feel like there's part of little girls that are always their dad's little girl. Even the, I I don't know, I haven't been in the situation, Mm -hmm. but I'm wondering if there were feelings of ambivalence when he passed away or if it was just all one direction of venom and hatred which which i can totally understand too i hadn't talked to my father in years before he he passed um he had again there was this running theme of jealousy in the in the family and my brother was happily married and madly in love with his wife and they had this great relationship and my father she was saying you know i know everything about about my husband and he was like no you don't and she was like yes he's told me everything and he was like no you know he hasn't and in a bar they were in a bar and he blurts out I bet you don't know that he slept with his sister and tried to destroy their marriage because he and this was his reaction when he found out not I should protect you this is horrible how could my son do this to my daughter it was he was jealous that that had happened so nobody really had a great relationship with him. Um, I did get to speak to him before he died, and I told him that I loved him, which I'm not sure why I did that, but I felt that I needed to. Um, my brother didn't get a chance to talk to him, and I think it really, um, to this day, affected him. Mm-hmm. And. My father knew that he was dying. It wasn't like he got hit by a car or had a sudden, sudden illness, a heart attack. He knew he was dying. And the thing that really pisses me off is that he, he never said sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He didn't try and make amends before that happened. When he had plenty of time yeah. to do it. Yeah. 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 You are tuned into the chat room, KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We are, uh, we are in the middle of fun to drive mode. The chat room has taken a more serious turn this week <laughs> than it often has. But we are, uh, we're in the middle of fun drive mode. We've had a couple of calls out there I've seen come in, which is fantastic. If, uh, if you want to give us a call and um, make your pledge, show KUCI that, uh, that you do listen, that you do support uh, non-commercial volunteer radio, that would be awesome. Their number is 949-824-5824-949-UCI-KUCI, and we have some fantastic premiums to offer you in exchange for your support. We have a lot of loyal listeners. Um, I know I do writers on writing on on Wednesday mornings, and uh, we just routinely get a lot of great support, and it means so much to us. So we we look forward to your calls. Um, So let's, let's go from... I, I'm just stunned, I have to say, before we get to the light part of this. I'm, I'm stunned about a lot of things. I'm stunned that you are, came through this so healthy, and you found a normal, lovely, I just met him for the first time five mm. minutes ago, but a lovely, sweet human being to mm-hmm. share your life with. And I don't know how you get from that much illness and venom and horrible murk <laughs> of what these people did to you. To find your way out of it, but I, I guess we'll I guess we'll get to that in time. Um, so he is in prison, and mm-hmm. you are supporting him, mm-hmm. and you're writing letters on his behalf, which mm-hmm. is really lovely of you. Yeah, <laughs> it's more than I would do. 
and you're going to visit him, which is really lovely of you. <laughs> yes. And so then what happens? So then I discover that he um, didn't tell me the truth, and he has um, testified and has been involved with people that have murder and conspiracy and racketeering and and mob connections and I'm just terrified and I'm done and I go back to Atlantic City um, instead of like going back to Canada or picking some place obscure I go back to the scene you know, it's basically the scene of the crime um, but this time I've got a casino license and I've got two kids to support and I'm there to do it right and I uh, get a job and I get a, a place to live, which we nicknamed the Bug House because it was just had a lot of cockroaches and wasn't very nice, but it was all that I could afford at the time. And um, my did you have any? Uh, this is a personal question that you can uh, you can decline to answer, but I'm just wondering through the the dads and the brothers and the. The prostitution and all of it, did you medically come through this okay where, you know, your kids are born, I mean, you have two kids now, mm -hmm. and, you know, I know that there could be a lot of complications from early sexual trauma mm -hmm. if you're being molested when you're, it sounds like you're like 10 or something, mm -hmm. some early age. Um, medically, are you coming through all of this okay, or are you also battling those problems as well of, of you know, whatever these sweet gentlemen might have left you with? I am... So blessed that I got through that whole thing without any medical issues. Um, <clears throat> there was a time when I was, uh, this was when I first started dating um, my current husband, and I got very sick, very, very sick, and I was in the hospital and I had pneumonia, and they talked to me about AIDS because at the time I was in Atlantic City, there was, it was in the 80s, there was a lot of, you know, the AIDS outbreak with New York City, and um, I didn't have any protected sex because that would have meant that I cared about myself. And because I didn't, I never required that anyone use a condom. So the fact that I got through that without any health issues is just... That's a, a miracle. It's a miracle, and it's, it's a reason why that, that I'm you know, still here to be able to talk about it, and, and it is such a blessing. Yeah, that is a miracle. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Don't do this at home, kids. No. Wear your condoms. <laughs> no. <laughs> do not. Ever. Don't try this at home. Okay, oh so goodness. I'm sorry I interrupted you. So so you have two kids. You're, you have your casino license. You're in mm -hmm. Atlantic City. Which means you can work there? What is that? What is the casino license? Casino license is that I, I have a license to be on the casino floor, and I can get a job within the casino. You have to... You have to apply for it, go through the Department of Gaming in New Jersey and be licensed. And I didn't know if I would be able to because who my husband was. I thought that, that might cause them pause to give me a license, but it didn't. So I was happy I I was there on the casino floor on the inside of the tables working in the finance department and and um my mother was was living with me, helping me um take care of the kids. And uh, did you just want to bash your head into a wall? Oh, that's what I would want to do. <laughs> I just want to bash your head into. But a wall. no, no, because at this point, when you're when you're surrounded by by everything that is so abnormal, you don't know that it's abnormal. Yeah. I don't know that 
everybody's mom doesn't take them to a bar, that everybody's mom doesn't like take them to the store and say, can you flirt with this guy so I get a, a deal on the microwave? I, I mean, that's I didn't know that that was wrong, and it it wasn't until my kids got older and I started to decide what kind of mom I wanted to be that I realized that she was a pretty crappy mom. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I'm yeah. going to go out on a limb and say, yeah, I think... <laughs> I'm not winning any awards myself, but yeah, I think from an objective standpoint, we can say, yeah, that's a pretty crappy one. I mean, in in the 80s, she came down and and she knew what I was doing, and I took her to um, one of the penthouse suites, I think it was in the the Golden Nugget, um, and she... A friend of mine was one of the, the, the butlers up on these the top floors, and she came up, and she had him take his jacket off and lay it off of a bed and wanted her picture taken so she could take it back to her friends that she was staying in these penthouse suites when her daughter was, you know, selling her body to be there. And Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so, God. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. yeah. Is she still alive? She is. I have not spoken to her in years, and unfortunately, she's in a home and she's uh, suffering from Alzheimer's. Um, that's a blessing for her. That's good. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's what we all would hope if we had done this. <laughs> we would have Alzheimer's. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm, I don't mean to make light of it. It's just you know. I don't know how you go on. I don't know how she goes on. You know, yeah. living with this knowledge in her head. And thank mm-hmm. God she. You know, really, thank God she doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so so he's still in prison, and you're yeah. So I'm I'm making a go at being legit, and then um, I I meet an older gentleman. Now he's 33 years older than me, and he um, offers me the chance to not work, and he's going to just support me and put me and the kids in a in a nice house. And my only obligation to him is to see him every other weekend when he, you know, comes down. And so that's, that's what I did. I, I gave up the, um, the legitimate route. It was difficult. It was hard. My mother wanted to leave. I didn't have anyone to look after the kids. And I took the easy, what I considered the easy way out. Um, during this time, my husband who's incarcerated is still threatening to come after me. Um, because as an abuser, he's lost all control, and I'm no longer listening to what he says. I'm not doing what he says. You're still married. I'm still married to him, and I tried to hide where I I was, and because he was an ex-cop and his brother's a cop in Philadelphia, I couldn't really hide from him. And um, he had threatened that he was going to... He managed at this point to get into a low-security prison and had threatened to walk away and show up at my doorstep and I um, on Mother's Day I received a Mother's Day card from him at my house which no one knew my address so I had to I went to the police and and I went I stood before a judge and tried to convince him that I needed a restraining order and that against a guy who's in against jail against a guy who is in jail and they gave it to me and I was on the phone with the board of prisons and the warden and all he was saying was he was a model prisoner and I was like no he's not <laughs> he's a good con artist but he's not a model prisoner um yeah so 
he's they they didn't they didn't do anything about that but he didn't he never showed up i think he just kind of lost interest when he just and is your mom in the apartment and your mom and your kids are in the apartment with you at this point no i she, no no okay. this is when i i had now taken up with the okay the older older married man okay um yeah so now i'm i'm you know bought and paid for for weekends and raising my kids and um and he's okay that the kids are there yeah you're good they were like you know his grandkids <laughs> it's just right great you know he would make he would make tapes for his grandkids and make an extra copy for mine it was just really kind of weird <laughs> you know like children's movies and stuff okay um yeah, and then when I first when I first went back to Atlantic City, I had uh, called in a radio station and made a request for a song, and this DJ didn't play my song, um, and I was really annoyed because I'm like, well, isn't that what you do? It's like Crestline, you're supposed to play my song, um, and we started talking, and I I went in and I met him in the radio station. I wanted to drop off a I was drawing at the time. I was doing a drawing of a lighthouse and I wanted to show him that I uh, was actually drawing and he played good music to draw by and we lost touch and then uh, he sent me a Christmas card in July which was really weird <laughs> but it's a little odd <laughs> it is it is but it caught my attention and we started talking um except I wouldn't talk to him weekends because then the married man would come to town. He was in Philadelphia and would come to Atlantic City. And we just started to um, have this friendship over the phone and didn't think it was going to go anywhere. And it it did. And, and he, I didn't, of all the men that I had met in my life, he was the one that I trusted the least. Really? Yes. Because he was normal? Because he was normal. He was normal and he was nice. And he would say, well, what do you want to do? Well, what do you want to eat? Well, what do you think about this? And I... That is suspicious behavior. It is so suspicious. It's very odd behavior. Yeah. No, we don't condone that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm really curious about how you keep on the path of of normalcy in the wake of this. I mean, you know, we've talked on the phone, or on the phone, we've talked on the air. Uh, I came from an alcoholic background. It's very hard for me not to get sucked back into it. And this is like that on steroids. I mean, this is how you, how you allow him to treat you well and how you, you know, how you almost find the patterns that, that are, that are healthy, that are going to work for you. Mm -hmm. um, I assume there's a lot of therapy, maybe. There, there was when we, um, and the therapy didn't start until after my father died. Oh, okay. Everything didn't really come to fruition until after he died. It was almost like I could not, the brain is so wonderful because it protects you from things that you can't handle until you're ready to handle them. And so a lot of the abuse that occurred in early childhood did not surface until after I read the, the death certificate. Oh. It was I so unexpected, did not... Um, I wasn't prepared for it, and I actually, what came to the surface was a, a rape that I had experienced at 13, and I called a rape hotline, and I uh, was referred to a wonderful 
psychotherapist named Lee Madigan. She's here in Orange County and didn't even get to all the dad stuff until way into into therapy. It never surfaced. It had been so I'm confused. You were raped by somebody not your dad at the age of 13. Yeah, because the abuse of my father okay. started at like six. So, okay. okay. Yeah. All right. And so this person abused you and you called at the time that you called the rape counselor counselor at the time that you were 13 for no help. oh no, you no, called no. later okay i didn't i didn't call for help until after my father okay, I, okay. The, yeah the, the death certificate came in the mail and i looked at it and then a couple of days later is when i had this breakdown and what came to the surface was being raped at 13 not what came before then i gotcha i gotcha yeah so yeah there was a lot of therapy a lot of therapy i would guess. difficult therapy and and my husband it, it was just incredibly spectacular in that he he would sit with me during this this terrible therapy and having to listen to what I'd gone through but he was that rock and I I um, had therapy Tuesdays and Thursdays for for two years mm-hmm. and just delved in and, and dealt with it and then on Wednesdays I started to take an art class because she said what did you like to do as a child what can you do that's not and you're not thinking about this. So I took an art class. That's so great. Yeah. That's so great. And he's not older than you. Or he's not significantly. It's not like 33 older. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's four years older than me. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's amazing that you just completely broke the cycle in all sorts of different ways. So you, you went for somebody more your age who has nothing, no connection to sexual abuse and no Mm-mm. connection to abusive personalities. And, Mm-mm. yeah, it, like, it, it's just so strange to me that suddenly in this long chain of men, you just broke the link all, you know, mm-hmm. out of the blue. It was interesting when we first started dating. Um, well, I don't think we had even started dating yet. We were still in the friends stage. And, and I had the married man and he was seeing someone else. And he made some comment along the lines of, you know, I find women that, that, need, that need to be rescued. And I said to him, I don't need you to fix me. And I think at that point, something shifted in me that I, I had been looking for men to rescue me, this abusive ex-cop drug dealer, this older man. And at that point, I did not want to be rescued. I needed to rescue myself. That's great. What happened to the ex? What happened to your first husband? He um, got out of he got out of uh, prison, and we got a divorce. And um, I wonder how he decided to let you go. That you know that, that he, he moved on. Choose. He moved on to another. Oh, that's another nice. blonde. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. happy story for her. Yes. We'll yes. bring her on the air next week. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. Right. He, he not only did he let me go, but he he let the kids go. He had to sign permission for for me to leave the state of New Jersey and move to California and take the kids out of state. So he signed off on that and then a couple of years later my husband adopted the children and he signed off on that as well. Okay. Do you, uh, uh, so I was going to leave sort of the biographical part of this. Do you want to, do you want to jump in and, or have, have we covered it or do you want to? Um, I'm interested, or I, I find it interesting, the transition you made because it doesn't seem to have been conscious necessarily. It seemed to have been circumstantial because you actually weren't looking for a man. You kind of had one. Mm-hmm. 
So what you did was you looked for friends. Mm-hmm. Then you found a friend. And then you f- it must have gotten to the point where you said, I guess I could love this guy. I guess like he's kind of cool. Even the, and then you were probably in this very safe space. You had this guy taking care of your children and you, and you only had to see him, was it every other weekend? Or every weekend, yeah, depending. So every weekend you saw him, you know, weekdays were free. Mm-hmm. You could do whatever you wanted to. Mm-hmm. So you were in a really comfortable situation. Probably your brain kicked in, and you were able to kind of access parts of yourself that before you were too scared or too um, in need of other things, mm-hmm. comfort whatever and it seems i'm trying to contrast it with kind of your situation marie you had a similar thing right a moment of comfort was it college which was like your moment of comfort where you kind of were able to reassess things what was your little bubble yeah i'm trying to think what was my little bubble did i have a little bubble (laughs) i get yeah i guess uh yeah i guess at law school maybe where i was sort of you know, sh- making that shift. I think I said that, you know, I met my husband at a time when I wasn't necessarily ready to get married, but marriage material differed greatly from dating material. Mm. So what I was looking for in a husband was way different than what I was looking for in a Saturday night. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Which is yeah. a message to all of you. That's exactly what you should be. <laughs> well, it's, it's fun. I'm, my husband, he, at the time, he was living in his grandmother's house. He was living in the basement of his grandmother's house. He didn't have a car. He had. He was surrounded by by records. Didn't have a lot to offer, but there was something about. He touched something in me, so I I could be this kept woman with whatever I wanted, or I could choose love, and yeah. and it was love. Well, yeah, you made an interesting point, Dana, about choosing uh, that he he came onto the scene more as a friend than as a romantic relationship. And I can't imagine you would have had a lot of male friends before this. It sounds like all of the guys had some sort of sexual entanglement associated with them that you were involved with. Well, it's interesting because I did actually have one male friend that when who wanted more than just to be my friend. And when I started dating... Um, my current husband, my friend knew something was up because I wasn't talking about this new guy. And when I did, I said, he reminds me a lot of you, only different. And I think that just broke his heart because he, you know, he was in love with me and he wanted to be with me. And and I didn't. It was... Have people been pretty open? I mean, your decision to write a book about this, I think, is incredibly brave, and the way you're writing it is very open and honest and lovely. Are people pretty open to your story? Have you gotten people, like, we live in in the, um, not redneck Orange County, but certainly, you know, conservative Orange County. Do you have people that bristle at your story or that you feel are viewing you in a different way when they hear your story, or has it all been, you know, kind of a positive open reception that you've received when you've when you've been open about your story i think it's mostly been pretty positive i think people have preconceived notions about prostitutes and um you know some people will not want to hear hear any story in in that fashion related to that at all um i think the fact that i am just so normal at this point that you would never know that and it's not 
to me, the story is not about bashing men and how horrible men were and how I met all these cheating, horrible, lying, thieving men. It's really how I got there, how did I get out of there, and and it's, you know, I'm an advocate for the good man. There's a lot of good men out there who, who don't cheat on their wives and girlfriends, who do the right thing, who get up and go to work and take care of the kids and help you and love you and support you. And, and you can have that if you make the choices in life to, to go after that and notice the good man. Right, right. It's funny because so twice on the show and including actually and next week's show, we're having a professional dominatrix on the show. Um, one other time we had a woman who solicited men on Craigslist for um, just sort of out of curiosity to see who the men are that answer Craigslist's ads mm-hmm. uh, called filthy notes from strangers.com. Mm-hmm. And both of these women have said that their clients or the they're, you know, the men who answer the ads or the dominatrix's clients are, by and large, you know, they're the, they're her, they're her friends. They're the guys that you would see certainly at the grocery store. But they're, I mean, that's what got the filthy notes for strangers guy woman so upset was one of the men was a friend of hers and another was her boyfriend's best friend. Mm. So these are really everyday normal guys. And I'm wondering if that was your experience during those years, if, if these were... The guys that, you know, your current girlfriend's husbands might be. Or, mm-hmm. you know, they're just incredibly run-of-the-mill, normal, straight, happy-seeming men. Yep. Yeah. They, you know, it's it's like, um, yeah, they were every man. Um, right. And I could, at the time, I could walk through a hotel lobby or I could walk through the casino. And I could tell just by walking through who would be interested in me just by the the length of time that they would stare for whatever reason guys who play craps are more likely than you know blackjack players yeah it is just really weird golfers sorry to say that but i don't know if it's the the old boys mentality or you know i'm going out for a game of golf honey and they're really not i don't know what it is but golfers and if you now if you get a golfer and a crap player then you're like then you're jumping yeah you could jackpot um but yeah they were just really normal men they um sometimes they wanted abnormal things but for the most part they didn't right were there dangerous situations that you found yourself in because you're attracted to dangerous men anyway did you find yourself pulled to dangerous clients as well i think the sheer fact of being a prostitute is a dangerous no thing doubt. to do right. you know you just because I'm not on the streets and going into a car, I'm going into a hotel room with someone I've met for a very short amount of time. And that's incredibly dangerous. And there were, there were times when um, there would be somebody else in the room that mm. I didn't think was going to be there. Or um, they thought there was some cab drivers who thought that I was somebody else that some prostitute that kept ripping them off and mm. and wanted to come after me or there would be pimps who would want um you know want me to work for them um so it's yeah just the sheer fact of doing that is dangerous it's incredibly dangerous it's a stupid thing to do and and you're so young i mean 15 what the heck did i know at 15 absolutely nothing yeah. So this was between the ages of 15 and... It was on and off from 15 to um, about 10 years. Okay. 10 years. 
and then again, you know, when I returned back to Atlantic City, um, you know, started to do it a little bit, and then it's like, no, can't do that. As you look back over all of it, are you shocked by your strength <laughs> and what you were able to do? Because I look back at the really dark parts of my life, and I feel like I wouldn't trade any of them in. You know, those are the things that I draw from in less dark parts of my life that I'm mm-hmm. like, look what I did. Look what mm-hmm. I can make it through. And I, I kind of draw strength from those years. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if, as you look back over the course of all of this, if you, you're kind of proud of yourself that, oh, my gosh, look at how strong and resilient and amazing I am. <laughs> That's how I look at you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> No, I I think I may be getting there. I don't I don't think that I'm there yet. That I think, oh wow, this is just amazing. You know, look how wonderful I am. Um, because it, it's just it's my normal. It's it's what I know. Um, what I do like is when my story can give strength to someone else, and and you know, my presence liberates others to to say, yeah, this happened to me, or that happened to me. Yeah. That's, that's where I get strength from. Yeah. So we're drawing down on our time. Tell us what you're doing now. I am um, doing, as you said, I'm working on finishing my book, and I've also started a, a branch of my creative life coaching called We Women Unite, and it's exclusively for women of abuse and give them an opportunity to have a safe environment, a supportive environment to tell their story and receive some coaching. And I've got a a new program starting up uh, on May 15th that it's a six-week online writer's group for women of abuse, and I'm really excited about it. These women are extraordinary, and a lot of times we feel a lot of shame in our lives, and it's misplaced shame. So to be able to put a voice to that and move on is uh, it's great work to do. That's fantastic. How do they get in touch with you? They can go to uh, wewomenunite.com, which is will take them right to the page, or they can go to creativeblisscoaching.com, and that is my just regular coaching page. So I do do coaching for for just regular women who aren't women of abuse and are just looking for ways to... They deserve help, too. They do. We all do. <laughs> Bring some creativity and joy into our lives. We all need as much help can as we I, can. Can um, I kind of end it on something that I think might be something we're driving at. You're, at, you're, ta- you're talking about how are you so strong? How did you do this? And this is my question, maybe something you two have in common. It's a theory. What were the first three years of your life like? Were they very, very, very comfortable? The first three years of my life. <laughs> you're, you? you're drawing on pre-memory. <laughs> well, I guess the question is, do you have any traumatic memories from when you were that young? I guess my theory is if you're given enough kind of unconditional positive regard and the the kind of physical sustenance that you need at a very young age, you can actually withstand a lot of abuse the rest of your life. But if you don't get that, you will never be able to. You just don't physically have it with you have a hollow feeling within you that you just cannot shake. Or you certainly can't shake without some significant rescuing. You pretty much fixed your own life. Nobody really rescued you. You made decisions. You did things. No man came here and said, oh, I got the solution. Fault. Do as I say. Mm-hmm. What you did was what you felt was right. 
And I wonder if the reason why women can heal from these things is because they have a good foundation. Like your mom was with you and for the th- first three years or so, you guys were best buddies. Yeah. And did she theory. give you that foundation? Sadly, we're out of time. So, we can't even answer the oh, question. Nothing. We can't <laughs> even answer the question. I answer that. <laughs> I know. We'll How about pon- yes or no? We'll ponder that. Yeah, I think, I think there's something to that theory. Okay. I think that's a very interesting, I think that's an interesting theory, Elle. I think we all have, there's a part of us that doesn't get touched by the abuse and it stays with us and there's that little flame and we just need to find ways to fan that flame and have it grow inside us. I like it. I like it. You have been tuned to the, into the chat room, KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We will be right back here with you next Friday, uh, professional dominatrix time next Friday night at 5 o'clock. So join us. And uh, our fund drive continues. So if you, uh, if you have the time, inclination, and funds, you can show us $5, you can show us $0.25, cents, or you can go... Oh, the sky's the limit, my friends. Just give us a call, 949-824-5824, 949-UCI-KUCI. We'll be here all week taking your calls and uh, appreciating your support. Until next time, thanks so much for joining me. Stay tuned for um, positive... Oh, I think our schedule has changed. Stay tuned. Some awesome music programming is coming up next. KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Check it out while I'm the master of balance With multiple talents I provide the landscape, baby You provide the challenge I've been broken down and out And look at the sound that I'm drowning out I'm around the town and I'm roundabout And it's better than a kick in your freaking mouth These words might scare you Make you tremble and double dare you Now we're always learning Always listening and very burning You're not checking the resume Two thumbs down is what they say 